Welcome in to Two Guys, One Mike, a college football podcast dedicated to providing you with all the college football stories, game previews, game reviews, and betting lines. I'm your host, Jacob Wilson, as always, joined by my fellow host, JT Urshowski. JT, how's it going, man? Doing good as ever, man. How can we not be good after what was just another fantastic week in college football, man? It feels like it just college football just continues to deliver every week. And I felt like we had a really good week this week when it comes to getting games in and not having many cancellations due to COVID. There's really just the one big one, obviously, with Wisconsin having a breakout in their program and not playing Nebraska this week. But other than that, I don't think there's really any games that I can remember, at least, that didn't go off and because of due to COVID. And so I think it was just a good week where we got to have all the, pretty much all the games play. And just I feel like it's so cliche, but I feel like every week in college, it was just another good week in college football, man. I feel like we say that every week, but it was just – Another great week of close games and upsets and unexpected blowouts. So uh, just I'm ready to recap it. Yeah, it was another good week. I thought it was probably the second best week of the year behind that. The first week when the SEC came back and there was crazy upsets left and right and really close games. So it, it was definitely a good weekend, a weekend that delivered. And I don't think there was any results that were crazy enough that were college football landscaping enough that we need to start at. So I think it just makes sense to start with what was billed as the game of the week, and that was Ohio State, Penn State. Ohio State traveling to Happy Valley without fans, um, just a 1,000 friends and family. So no whiteout, but Ohio State goes on the road and beats Penn State 38-25. And this was just a very calm, cool, and collected performance from Ohio State. This is kind of what I expected from this game, why both me and you took Ohio State minus 11 here, and that's just because we thought, it's not like Ohio State had some amazing game. It's not like Penn State had some bad game, but Ohio State's just a better team than Penn State. They're a better team than pretty much everyone in college football besides Alabama and Clemson, and they're right on the level with them. And this is what you come to expect from these top three teams, that when they play these big-name big, big name matchups, they're still better at every position, and they're still going to find a way to control the game and, and win it. And that's what Ohio State did. I thought they dominated this game from start to finish. It was easily a game that could have – been won by a lot more, and it was another great performance from Justin Fields, 28 to 34 for 318 yards, four touchdowns, zero receptions. He was late into the first quarter, maybe even second quarter, with still out another incompletion, and even that incompletion was another drop. So Justin Fields is on the money with all of his throws right now. Um, high State defense still kind of a weak point for this Ohio State team, but it looked a little bit better this week, and. This is definitely a game where Ohio State looked a little bit sloppy and could have easily won this game by three, four, even five touchdowns. But the scoreline is probably not representative of, of the game and how dominant Ohio State looked. But at the end of the day, Ohio State gets the win. And I thought they looked pretty good, and they continue to show why they're a top three team. You, you hit a lot of really good points about just kind of recapping this game. And when I kind of think about it and how I kind of choose to spin how this game went it was a game that Ohio State obviously got up very early in got up big early in the game it was a game that they always felt comfortable in and never really felt like their lead was in, in danger at any point I don't think Penn State got within I think even just I don't think they even got it down to single digits once it got to 14 pretty early in this game so Ohio State never really felt threatened in this game but at the same time you're right this is a game that Ohio State could have really won by a lot more and it felt like Ohio State had actually a lot of things go their way it felt like they made a lot of sloppy plays. They had, oh, I think, I think at least 10 penalties in these games, and a lot of those were penalties that seemed to really kind of kill drives or extend drives for Penn State. And then Ohio State missed two field goals in the red zone. They didn't turn the ball over. It was probably the one thing that they they probably had to do for Penn State to get back in this game, and that was they didn't turn the ball over, which is probably why they're able to stay comfortably in front of this game. But even with all those breaks, Penn State just 
couldn't find a way to kind of just get back into this game. And it was clear from the moment that this game kicked off that Ohasi just had such a massive end at the line of scrimmage, both when they were playing offense and when Penn State was playing offense. So when they were running the ball, they were getting a really strong push, running for over 200 yards in this game on 45 carries, which is a lot. But, I mean, Penn State is supposed to be built as a run-stopping defense. They run for 200 yards. And then when Justin Fields was, was dropping back to pass, it always felt like he was never really – had a pass rush in his face. I always felt like he had a comfortable time to make the throws that he wanted to. And then on the flip side of that, it felt like Sean Clifford. I think that has to do with Sean Clifford just having happy feet in general. I think he knew Aussie had a very elite pass rush, and it became his instinct to run as soon as the pocket broke down a little bit. But Aussie also just did not give this Penn State really any room to, to really sit back and let Sean Clifford be comfortable in throwing the football. And then Penn State really had no running game, only rushed for 44 yards on 27 attempts, just – 1.6 yards per carry. So they could never get the running game going. And really their only kind of hope in this game was they uh, just to hit big passes down the field. And we saw that a couple of times. They, they were really successful to slam out. But that was really the only way that they were able to move the ball. And it just wasn't enough to be effective and maybe balanced and put together consistent drives in this game. And, of course, what I look to pretty much in any game to determine, you know, who was the better team, who was more dominant. And my big thing is to always go back to yardage. And Ohio State outgained Penn State in this game. Uh, but 526 to 325 yards, so outgains them by 201 yards, controlled this game. And even though it felt like they couldn't kind of get out of their own they, – they were kind of always kind of in their own way. They couldn't get out of their own way. They still found a way to be comfortable the whole time. And I think that's what I take away from this game is the fact that I'll say probably played its C-average game and still never felt like they were in danger on the road against what a lot of people presume to be the second-best team in the Big Ten, and that in itself is alarming. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you kind of hit the two other big taking uh, talking points I had about this game, and that really was at the line of scrimmage. We saw Ohio State absolutely dominate them. Um, Ohio State's offensive line is probably the best in the country, in my opinion. And then with a defensive line that maybe struggled a bit last week, they came to play this week, and they looked a lot better. Zach Harrison made some big plays for Ohio State's defensive line, which was good to see if you're an Ohio State fan. And I think those are kind of the two bigger talking points I had, and it was also total yards. And like you said, Ohio State dominated that, had 200 more yards than Penn State. So I, I think just overall, this was a game that, like you said, I really like what you said, that they played a C game here and they still cruise control to victory on the road here. So, I mean, Ohio State, and like you said, I mean, Penn State is presumed to be the second best team in the Big Ten. I know they're 0-2, but they still probably talent-wise, well, not t they are talent-wise the second best team, but they might be the third or fourth best team. But still, I think another big thing is that Ohio State is just so much better than everyone else in the Big Ten this year, it feels like. And the only thing really in their way right now is COVID. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that seems to be potentially derailing this team is COVID. And look, that was that was the, the two-game stretch to start the game was supposed to be something that a Hussey fan thought, you know, if you get through that, then, you know, the rest of the schedule seems to be a pretty big reason. And the only really kind of games that they get Rutgers and Maryland, and then even that home game against Indiana, just the way that Penn State – outgained Indiana by 200 yards and Ohio State outgains Penn State by 200 yards. Even that game against Indiana doesn't feel all that threatening. And so really the only game on the schedule that, that really seems alarming is that December 12th game against Michigan. And after what we saw against Michigan last week, it's almost even then just like, wow, like can even Michigan get at this team? And don't forget, you know, when these teams, when those two teams played last year, 
Ohio State dominated that game, won by almost 30. So, yeah, it just feels like right now there's no what, no other team in the Big Ten that can get in their way. And I think we're kind of – like you said, we mentioned Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. I think Clemson maybe doesn't deserve to be in that discussion. They've struggled in some games this year. Maybe, maybe it was more just last week than anything else. But I think we're just not seeing that. Alabama is by far the best team in the SEC. Ohio State's by far the best team in the Big Ten. And Clemson still is the best team in the ACC. And it feels like these programs are just – on a collision course for the playoff down the road. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you kind of talked about Ohio State going forward there. It looks like they have a pretty clear path to win the rest of their games. And as long as there's no COVID issues, especially with big players, they should be fine. But Penn State, on the other hand, are now 0-2. Um, obviously, out of any sort of Big Ten title race, playoff race, um, three games behind Ohio State, essentially, with this tiebreaker. So uh, we obviously know Ohio State's not going to lose three games. So their path to the Big Ten – uh, championship game is pretty much over. I mean, what do you think about this team going forward? Maybe not even just this season, but but beyond. I mean, do they need – it feels like they need a new quarterback. Sean Clifford's not going to be the guy that's going to win you a Big Ten title or who's going to take you to the playoffs. And it, and it feels like maybe even James Franklin isn't the guy to get you all the way to playoffs and, and win you a national championship. Yeah, I mean, that that is the starting question. Look, James Franklin, in my opinion, has – has outdone his expectations when it came to, to coming into Penn State. You know, he inherited this program after Bill, you know, Bill O'Brien did a pretty good job bringing this program back after the whole scandal and, and making it competitive again. But I really do think that Penn, that James Franklin was able to take Penn State to another level. And outside of the Ohio State games, they've been, they've been a really good football program. You know, when they play Michigan at home, it seems like they always beat Michigan. You know, they've been to New Year's Six Bowls. They did win a Big Ten championship back in 2016 and, and got to the Rose Bowl that year. But, yeah, it feels like lately they've – that it feels like they were kind of starting to catch Ohio State, and now they've really fallen off. And it feels like that gap is starting to widen again back to what it was kind of like in 2013, 2014, and 2015. And really now, if you look at the James Franklin era, the only win against Ohio State was that year that they blocked that kick and returned it for a touchdown. And so, yeah. And so now the question has is, is James Franklin has gotten Penn State to a pretty good level, but it still is not at the level that they need to be to beat Ohio State. And now you have to wonder, is he that guy? Can he still be that guy to then take this program over that final hurdle and beat Ohio State? And I think there's a lot of serious questions that they just can't look. They're not recruiting at the level that Ryan Day is recruiting at Ohio State. And he's not some great game manager. And we've seen him have, you know, some questionable decisions. We talked about that last week, you know, in big games. And and then now, like, it just, he's not getting the recruiting rankings. And then, yeah, Sean Clifford is just not the guy. And his backup, Will Levis, is not the guy. And unless I don't have any information, I don't think there is some guy kind of in the pipeline for Penn State. And actually, my one of my, one of my cousins is a really big, you know, um, Ohio State fan and you know he loves you know kind of comparing Ohio State to, to Penn State and he actually brought up a, a really good statistic as to why Penn State will always just be behind Ohio State I don't know if I have it pulled up I can maybe get it for you in a second it's, it's not a big deal but it just it feels like this program is behind Ohio State and it, that gap is widening and I don't know if James Franklin is the guy to, to kind of close that gap. All right let's move on to what I think is another huge game to talk about from this weekend and it's uh, probably the upset of the weekend. It's Michigan 24, Michigan State 27. And this was a game that maybe you, maybe some people had some questions about this being a close game and Michigan State covering just because of the rivalry factor and the fact that it's probably always going to be a bit of a low scoring game. And that's just the way these games are. They're always a bit of a rock fight, you know. And, but I mean, it was never really in the question that Michigan State could come to the big house and win this game. But that's exactly what they did. 
felt like they kind of punched Michigan in the face. I mean, they kept it really simple, old school football, ran the ball decently well, played good defense, um, kind of just tried to throw the ball up to their tall wide receivers. They had a good playmaker in Ricky White who kept making plays for Michigan State. I mean, that guy is an absolute dude. Ten, uh, eight receptions for 196 yards. I mean, 24.5 yards on average there Another in the touchdown. So Ricky White was an absolute dude. Um, Rocky Lombardi actually has a really good game for Michigan State, which is a bit uncommon for him ever since he's been the QB there. He's been pretty rough. And then on the other side for Michigan, the stats aren't bad for Joe Milton by no stretch of the imagination, but 32 of 51, he didn't really do it in the big moments. And he definitely didn't look as good as he did last week against Minnesota, which is obviously a much, much worse defense. But this is just a game you can't lose if you're Jim Harbaugh. And I think that's kind of my biggest takeaway from this game is in a season where you have a really tough schedule when you're playing Wisconsin, we'll see if that game goes ahead. You're playing Ohio State, you're playing Penn State, and who knows about Penn State right now. And you're playing Indiana just next week, which is going to be a tough game that's going to be kind of a pick type game in Vegas. And in a season like this where you have a lot of tough matchups and you need to at least go five and three, I think, in my opinion, if you want to keep your job. I mean, he hasn't had his contract extended. He only has one year after this year on his contract, which is a pretty worrying sign. Um, nowadays, ADs give away contract extensions like they're candy. So one year left on his contract next year. This is just a game you cannot lose if you're Jim Harbaugh. Absolutely. This is bad. This is kind of as bad as it gets. And I, I, I do say, I'll get to, I'll, I'll dog on Michigan in a second, but I got to give some credit to, to Michigan state to, I don't know why I'm blanking on their head coach's name, Mel Tucker, right? Yeah. Give credit to Mel Tucker, give credit to this Michigan state program to lose to Rutgers, who was the laughing stock of the big 10, seven turnovers and just everyone doubting you, including me, including you. I think everybody in the, in the, in the sports media was doubting Michigan state and after the way Michigan looked last week against Minnesota, you know, for that program to turn around just in a week and put the, put the kind of performance that they did in this game. Look, Michigan didn't play great, but Michigan State came to play in this game. You know, they punched them in the mouth. You're right. They didn't let Michigan run all over them. Their defensive line played great, played great in this game. And Michigan State deserved to win this game. They, they played great. But look, for, if you're Michigan, I know Michigan State played great, but you are the Michigan Wolverines. You're Jim Harbaugh. It is why your fifth, sixth year now at this program, and just it's not getting better. It's not, and this program continues to just have the struggles that it's had recently. And look, I had a lot of questions. Everyone was ready to give Joe Milton the world, or to give Joe Milton, right? Yeah. Uh, to give Joe Milton the world after he had a good game against Minnesota, but I wanted to see how he would look when he didn't have just an offensive line that was pushing the defensive line back, and he had all day to throw. And he struggled in this game. Yes, the stats are great, 32, 51, 300 yards. But it felt like he just – they just they would always – their drives would always just kind of find a way to stall. And they never were just able to get ahead in this game. It always felt like they were scoring to get the game tied back up. The offense could never just put two or three consistent touchdown drives together. It was they'd get a touchdown, and then they'd sputter out. And then they'd go down, they'd get a touchdown, but they could just never get the offense rolling. And then, look, and then they got a, they got a late touchdown to make this game kind of close. But they really put 17 points – through three and a half competitive quarters. That is just not good enough for add the offense. And, and, you know, and it just, it just isn't good enough. And, you know, you know, you're Jim Harbaugh, it's your sixth year. And, you know, you're, you were brought to, you're paying, paying you're being paid $8.5 million. You're brought to Michigan to, to beat Ohio State, to compete for big 10 championships. You haven't done it. And now it's in your sixth year and you're just, you're getting, you're losing to, to 
Michigan State, Mel Tucker, and this is not the Michigan State that we used to see, you know, with Connor Cook and making the Big Ten Championship games. This is still a pretty average, below average Michigan State team. And this is, it's a bad result. And, you know, when it comes to Jim Harbaugh, it's just when is it going to get better? You know, and I don't, I don't see – there's nothing in the recruiting rankings that tell me that it's going to get better. There's nothing in the game-time coaching, game-time performance is going to get better. It's just this is what Michigan has become under Jim Harbaugh, and they have to decide if that's good enough for them. Yeah, no doubt. I don't think there's really any signs that this is getting better. You know, you look at the recruiting rankings for 2021, and they're at about 10th place right now, which maybe sounds good if you're someone who doesn't know a ton about recruiting rankings, but – that's really probably right about where they've been most of the time. And the difference between being the 10th best, uh, you know, recruiting class in the nation and being the first is it's a massive, massive difference. Kind of like the difference between being the 10th best team in the country and being the first. I mean, there's just a huge difference in four stars and five stars and three stars and four stars. And yeah, I mean, you look at the recruiting class last year and you look at the recruiting class coming up this year, although it's not bad, there's no reason to think, this is a team that's turning it around quickly. This is a team that is going to be amazing next year, you know. And to lose a game like this, I think this, the most jarring stat maybe from this game that came from this game was that they're one in six now at home versus their rivals um, in the Jim Harbaugh era. That's versus Michigan State and Ohio State, obviously. And they've lost all their games to Ohio State, beat Michigan State once. I believe it was in that year, Michigan State was really bad too and went three and nine. So it's been really rough for Michigan and to lose a game like this against a Michigan state team, that's probably going to be pretty bad this year, unless they just jump up and start playing amazing from here on out is a really, really bad loss. And this isn't a fluky loss. I mean, the, the total yards in this game were the same. Um, I think the biggest thing for Michigan was the penalties and that their defenders on the outside were actually getting called for holdings that they were doing and pass interference and stuff like that. And, I will say the calling was a little bit inconsistent. It wasn't being called as much from Michigan on their jump balls to their wide receivers, but Michigan, they like to play tight. They like to play press and they like to kind of push on people and do some hand fighting. And they were finally getting called for it in this game. Yeah. I mean, they're the way Don Brown's defense has always worked is to play press man and, you know, to cause havoc at the line of scrimmage. And it's basically to give nothing easy. And yeah, the only it was the way to beat Michigan state was you have to win those one-on-one -on -one battles on the edge. And, the way that Michigan State has always kind of gotten away from or gotten away with that and, and played really good defense is their corners are they, they say they're very physical, but I think a lot of Ohio State fans, a lot of Big Ten fans, you know, like they get away with a lot of holding. And I think they always kind of got away with it because it was just the way they played. And and eventually you're gonna get you're you're gonna play some games where you're gonna find some some umpires and some judges who are gonna throw the flags when that happens. And and that's what happened in this game. And you're right, the penalties just killed them and, and it gave Michigan State a lot of, you know, free, you know, it's 10 penalties for 86 yards. A lot of them, you know, resulted in first downs. And then also what that press coverage does is that it makes you susceptible to big plays. And it felt like Michigan State, every time they scored a touchdown, it was because they had a big passing, big passing play down the sideline or over the middle. It was just Michigan State was able to, to hit, to win on those one-on-one -on -one battles enough and make some big plays. And, and that's how they found them. That's how they got to the end zone. And that's how they scored their touchdowns. All right, so one more big game we have to talk about before we'll just open it up to whatever we feel like discussing. So uh, number one, Clemson 34 beats Boston College uh, 28. And obviously a close scoreline, a close game, a game that Clemson was down 28-10 at one point. Um, they did get a score going into half to make this game a little bit closer before halftime. And it was one of those games where Boston College was getting a lot of big plays. I mean, a, a strip on the one-yard line of Clemson's and 99 yards, ran back for a touchdown, and just a lot of big plays for Boston College. It, it didn't necessarily feel sustainable. 
it always felt like Clemson was probably going to come back and, and make this game close at the end and probably pull pull away with it, even with uh, DJ, the quarterback, with Trevor Lawrence being out with COVID, obviously. But, wow, this is still – and I think this is still a game that you have to look at and take something away from it. Some people might just look at this game and think, all right, no Trevor Lawrence. Um, there's nothing to take away from this game. You know, this is what you expect. But even with DJ at QB, I think this is a game you need to handle a little bit better and do a little bit better in – I still think that this team is going to be a lot worse, not a lot worse, but they're definitely a worse team than they were the last couple of years. And I look at this team and outside of Amari Rogers, outside of Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence, I just don't think there's a lot on this team. The defensive line is not as good as it has been uh, in the Dabo years. Defense in general is not as good as it has been um, with Brett Venables. And obviously the offense just isn't as explosive. You still have Etienne, you still have Rogers, you still have uh, Lawrence, but They've lost a lot of other pieces, especially at wide receiver. And I think that was kind of indicative of this game. All it took was one of those three pieces to be out of place, and they were struggling to win the game. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in this game. And, you know, Clemson is probably still going to be ranked number one in the polls. And I think a lot of you, like you kind of said, a lot of people are going to kind of say, you know, it was just, oh, Trevor Lawrence was out, a freshman quarterback was in. And, and yeah, but it's not like their freshman quarterback played bad. The name is DJ Ungagag. Ungangale. I'm just going to call him DJ for the purposes of this podcast. So we'll do that. And DJ played not too bad in this game. He played like a freshman. He played like a, he's got that big arm that they talk about. And so he had some overthrows, but he didn't play bad in this game. He didn't turn the ball over, you know, 30, 41 for 300, 342 yards and two touchdowns, you know, played pretty much how you would want him to play in this game. It was, it's the fact that they just so far in the ACC season, they really haven't dominated at the other positions the way they used to in the past. And look, I kind of had thrown up their season struggles to, to, oh, you know, this is what Clemson does. They always struggle, and then eventually they turn it on. And, you know, when they beat Miami 42-7, 42-17, and then they beat Georgia Tech 73-7, it was always like, all right, now Clemson's going to get rolling. But since then, you know, played with Trevor Lawrence. We're only up 27-21 against Syracuse kind of in the third quarter before that game got out of hand. And then this week, without Trevor Lawrence, Clemson really struggled. And I think part of it, too, is that not dominant on the defense – kind of like they were last year. I think they lost a lot of pieces off that defense last year, and they've, they've had some issues replacing them. And, yes, they're still pretty good on offense when they have Amari Rogers and Travis Etienne and, and especially Trevor Lawrence back there. But you're right. You took Trevor Lawrence out, and, and I think Boston College was able to kind of key in on Etienne, keep him pretty bottled up. And, and, and Clemson and DJ struggled kind of to, to move the ball consistently in the first half. And, and, you know, they only had 13 points at halftime. And then, you know, they did score three touchdowns in the second half. But – you know, they needed to hold Boston College scoreless in the second half to really kind of come back and still only, still only, win, only win, this, win this game. Credit to Boston College. They came out in this game early. You know, their offense looked fantastic in the first half. Their offense moved the ball efficiently. They scored quickly in the first quarter. And then in the second quarter, they kind of slowed it down. They had a really great drive for halftime. They ate up a ton of clock and scored. And so the offense looked really good. But then the offense was a really big letdown in the second half. Could never get anything going. And then that allowed Clemson to get back in this game. But I do think there are starting to be some concerns about Clemson. Look, it's not like the ACC is as a ton better this year than they were last year. I think it's just Clemson maybe is kind of taking a step down. They're definitely not dominant in the way they were dominant last year. And now we're getting to the point where Clemson's played seven games now. So, I mean, they're pretty much, you know, in the full swing of a season. And I know they had a COVID offseason, but you've had seven games to really get going. And they're still kind of struggling this game. So, you know, this was a game where they were able to come back and win, but 
with Notre Dame on the docket next week. And Notre Dame's defense is nasty if you, if you haven't been paying attention to that team. And now they've got a freshman quarterback going into that game. I, I think that game becomes a lot more interesting, at least for, for one more week before Trevor Lawrence comes back. Yeah, I mean, the biggest takeaway from this game yeah, after it was all away. said and done was the fact that uh, Clemson, you know, struggles without Trevor Lawrence to win this game. And then right after this game was over, the news was pretty much out that Trevor Lawrence will not be playing next week against Notre Dame. It was kind of up in the air if he would be ready to go or not. You know, he was right on that 10-day window of when the Notre Dame was a uh, game was and when he tested positive. So it came out that he's not going to be able to play. So DJ is going to be the guy next week against Notre Dame. And I don't want to talk about this game too long and we got to get moving. But, I mean, just what are your initial thoughts about DJ being the QB um, and this team that we saw this weekend struggle against Boston College playing Notre Dame on the road next week? Yeah, I think that game is going to be competitive. And, you know, we had kind of dogged on Notre Dame for really not getting it together, but they have the past two weeks. And now that offense is really starting to click and that defense is good. Really, that defense, I think Notre Dame has played, I can't remember, we'll just say six for, for reference. The, the point is, is that if Notre Dame's played six games, they have been dominant. Their defense has been dominant for five and a half of those games. They pretty much, their defense has struggled for two quarters. It was the first half of the game against Florida State, I believe. Other than that, their defense has been lights out. And they're going to give this freshman quarterback different looks that he hasn't seen before. And it's not going to be a game where they can win at all the other skill positions. They can win at the line of scrimmage. This is a game that DJ is probably going to have to make some plays to win. And I'm, I'm curious to see if he can do it. All right, so um, is there any other big games or talking points you want to discuss or you kind of just want to start rolling through score lines here? Uh, actually, we start rolling through score lines. Are we not doing the uh, Lost in the Madness? Uh, I guess we could give some a couple Lost in the Madness candidates. What do you got? All right, my, my first Lost in the Madness candidate is, is Oklahoma is finally performing like the team mm. we all expected them to be. I know it was against – Texas Tech, and last week it was against TCU, but that offense is clicking, their defense is playing solid, and look, they still need a lot of help to get to the Big 12 championship game, but if they do, I think they are perennial favorites, and they're probably not going to make the playoff, but it's good to see that Oklahoma's kind of finally getting back to to what they should have been, and now they're going to probably be so frustrated and disappointed in themselves that they weren't able to find a way to win those games against Kansas State and, and, and Iowa State, because if they did, this team is looking uh, really solid and could have made another run at the college football playoff. Yeah, I think for me, Northwestern 21, Iowa 20. And Northwestern's now one of only four teams in the Big Ten that are 2-0. and It didn't take too many weeks to get down to only a couple teams here undefeated in the Big Ten. And uh, Northwestern, man, at 2-0, and I think they're kind of a challenger here in the Big Ten West. Absolutely. And I would make the point that Northwestern and Purdue are now probably the two favorites to make it to the Big Ten championship game out of the West. I had I I thought I'd read something and I confirmed it today that you do have to play six games in order to be eligible for the Big Ten championship, six out of the eight. And that means if Wisconsin, who has 12 players who tested positive in the Big Ten protocol, says that if you have a positive case, you're out for 21 days. So that means if they miss this week against Purdue and next week against Michigan, they're out of contention to make the Big Ten championship game. And if that's the case, Northwestern and Purdue are the only teams sitting at 2-0 in the Big Ten West. They might be your new favorites to make it to Indy. Yeah, I mean, we always knew this was going to be a weird year with COVID. And, yeah, I mean, that's huge news that you got to play six games to even be eligible for the Big Ten uh, championship game. And that's a fair rule. But, man, if something pops up with Ohio State and they only get five games, then there's going to be a huge uproar. Yeah, a huge uproar. And, 
And it would be interesting if even if it was that Ohio State never had a, a positive, you know, okay, what happens if Ohio State never had cases break out, but it's always just the teams that they're playing have cases that break out. What, what do you do then? Is it is Ohio State going to be punished because their other teams weren't eligible? It's, it's, something, it's something we have to, to obviously, you know, keep, you know, keep an eye on going forward. Uh, Georgia 14, Kentucky 3, definitely a loss in the madness type game. Not many people really talking about this game, just being kind of lost with all the other really good games there at noon um, and with Michigan State, Michigan and uh, Clemson, Boston College. And I guess my takeaway from this kind of loss in the madness segment for this game is Georgia's offense is really sputtering right now. And I know Kentucky has a good defense and I know Georgia's defense looks really good, which is making them kind of a half football team that has a really good defense and a struggling offense. But I don't know if this Georgia offense is going to be able to keep up with Florida's offense next week and in that huge game. Absolutely. Look, they've always had the defense that they just need to be competent on the offensive side of the ball. But these past couple of weeks, I'm almost starting to wonder, is their offense even competent? They, they still run the ball pretty effectively with Zaire White in that offensive line. But Stenson Benson really is starting to look like a, a limitation at the quarterback position. I know he made some good throws against Alabama, but he made a lot of mistakes in this game. He really just feels like he's not a game changer. He only went nine of 13 for 131 yards, no touchdowns, two picks. It just it just feels like he is not the answer long-term at Georgia. And I don't know how, what the situation is with JT Daniels and if he can play this year and if he makes them a difference maker, but it just feels like while Stenson Bennett is the quarterback at Georgia, their offense is not going to be dynamic enough because look, I know their defense is great, but to win in college football, you have to at least be somewhat competent, if not dynamic on the offensive side of the ball as well. And just, they're never going to be that with Stenson Bennett at the quarterback position. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you look at this team and sure, they maybe make the playoffs. Maybe they get to the SEC championship game, but you just look at this offense and that, like you said, is just not a national championship offense. And, and maybe you can cut it doing that in the NFL, but in college football, you have to have a prolific dynamic offense if you want to compete for national titles. And maybe things get different when JT Daniels gets healthy. I mean, he is technically healthy at the moment, but I mean, I don't know. I think the way their offense looks right now uh, without JT Daniels, I just can't imagine that JT Daniels is, is healthy and they're not putting him in there because the offense looks really rough right now with Stetson Bennett the past couple of weeks. And you'd have to think they want to try something different next week. And maybe JT Daniels gets miraculously better and healthy throughout this next week and plays against Florida and that changes everything. And hell, Georgia is favored in that game early on in Vegas. And I really like Florida, but that's going to be a big game next week. And I think Georgia's offense, which we have not seen showing up here much this year, really in general, besides maybe the first half against Alabama is, is going to be a big question next week when they play Florida and what is a huge game for the SEC East. But uh, maybe one more lost in the madness game here. And I think it has, for me, it's Texas A&M 42, Arkansas 31. And the scoreline looks a little close, but Texas A&M really dominated this game, controlled this game. They were the better team throughout and, I know it's Arkansas, but that's impressive to me because Arkansas is a really good football team. And to kind of – I mean, I know the total yards were close and stuff like that, but there was a game that Texas A&M was up, I think, almost four touchdowns at one point, right? They were really controlling this football game. and yeah, 42-17 at the end of the third quarter. Yeah, I mean, to be beating an Arkansas team like that, that handily really shows that this is a Texas A&M team that has the ability to run through the rest of the schedule that is – it's very average. They play South at South Carolina, at Tennessee – at home versus Ole Miss and LSU. And then they finally go on the road to Auburn, which we obviously saw just have a really good win against LSU. But 
it's still Texas A&M, and I just have a feeling they're going to take a misstep somewhere. But I guess the loss in the madness point I'm trying to make is if Texas A&M wins these last five games, I think there's a really good chance. I'll just say it now. They're in the playoffs. They're not definitely in. Um, I think, you know, if, if we had a situation where Florida wins out and then Florida beats Alabama, then, you know, you have Florida and Alabama in the playoff and, you know, Texas A&M gets left out. So I think – but I do agree with you that if Texas A&M wins out, it, it provides a very interesting question because Texas A&M team is that they can't make it to the SEC championship game because they're in the, they're in the West with Alabama. And so they'll be sitting there at 9-1 nine, nine or 8-1. and one. I think it's 8-1 and one with their only loss being on the road against the number one team in the country. That resume is going to be stacked up against, you know, probably maybe, you know, if it's, if it's a one-loss Oklahoma State or a two-loss Iowa State out of the Big 12, you know, it'll be stacked up with, you know, is there an undefeated champion out of the Pac-12? You know, and then, of course, how many teams, how many games did the Pac-12 play? Maybe stacked up against, you know, a, a team like Georgia or Florida who lost in the SEC championship game or a team like Cincinnati who goes undefeated for that four spot. And you can make the argument in a lot of those scenarios that Texas A&M has the best resumes of all those other teams. And so I agree with you. I, I kind of texted you about this morning. Look, Texas A&M runs the table, goes eight and one. I think they deserve to be in that discussion. And right now they're sitting at number seven. Probably by the time the cultural playoff rankings come out, they'll be right there at five, six if they continue to win out. So it'll be an ongoing discussion going forward. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's shaping up to have pretty three clear teams in Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. And it feels like it's always those three teams. And it kind of always feels like it's Oklahoma, too. And it's obviously not going to be Oklahoma this year. And because of that, I know we always say this every year. We, in a, you know, early November, late October, even into mid-November, we have all these crazy playoff scenarios that might pan out and it, it never ends up happening. And a few teams always lose along the way and make it a little bit easier for the college football playoff. But I, I know there's still, you know, two months basically here, but right now there is really shaping up to be some crazy playoff scenarios with Cincinnati, who we haven't talked about, beat Memphis 49 to 10. I mean, demolished a good football team at home. Demolished a good football team last week um, overall, and they look really good. They're number seven in the country. Um, then you have a team like Oregon, who maybe they come in and win the rest of their games. And you have a team like Florida, who could win out from here on out. Um, you know, I mean, you have a team, there's just lots of teams that could really be competing for that four spot. Oklahoma State did drop out this week with the loss to Texas. But yeah, I mean, this could be a crazy scenario for the college football playoff here in a month and a half. Yeah, it's really interesting when you have almost kind of feels like three teams who are such perennial above the rest, and it feels like everyone else is kind of fighting for one position. And it's going to be probably a team that's very flawed, who probably isn't doesn't quote unquote deserve to be there, but that spot has to be filled by somebody. And it kind of it kind of especially in a COVID year in 2020, everyone's playing kind of a conference only schedule. It's going to be a really weird way of kind of saying, you know, how did they do in their conference and how does that relate to how this team did in their conference? And, and it's going to be very interesting to see how the committee chooses to evaluate these teams based on games played, who they played, yeah. and, you know, and, you know, how good their wins looked and, you know, conference championships do matter to the committee and how does that factor in that, that Texas A&M didn't even make it to a conference championship game, but that's because they were probably in the division with one of the best, the best teams in the country. So, it's going to be really interesting going forward. I, I really hope I, I kind of root every year that the, the playoff gets kind of kind of crazy screwed and has to make tough decisions. Cause I think that's how we're going to get to eight eventually is, is having scenarios like that. But 
we'll have to see it's going forward. It'll have to be kind of an ongoing discussion. But, yeah, it's, it's really painting up to be a year where it's going to be three teams well above the rest, kind of the way it was last year a little bit, although I think Oklahoma deserved to be at number four. But it's going to be a year where three teams are really, you know, obviously kind of feel like they're locked in. And it's going to be just another – a bunch of kind of lesser teams scrapping for that final spot. And I obviously touched on it a little bit there talking about Cincinnati, but I think my final kind of talking point for, I just run through some games here has to be coastal Carolina, 51, Georgia state, zero Cincinnati, 49 Memphis, 10. And then finally BYU 41 Western Kentucky, 10. And the three teams that are probably the best non-power five teams that are undefeated right now, all roll this weekend. Yeah. all roll this weekend. You know, if none of these teams do make the playoff, it's kind of the discussion for what best team out of the group of five make it to the New Year's Six Bowl games. And those are kind of seeming to be the three contenders right now. But, yeah, BYU looks solid. Cincinnati looked great. I haven't got a chance to talk about this game. I was kind of, you know, I thought maybe, you know, after that win SMU last week, that maybe was kind of kind of fluky. And, uh, like, Cincinnati is the best team in the American Athletic. And they're a solid football team. And their defense is good. Look, these teams, these these offenses in the American Athletic are no joke. SMU's got a great offense. Memphis has got a great offense. And this Cincinnati defense is shutting them down. And then Desmond Ritter is balling out the quarterback position. I have been kind of a doubter on Cincinnati. Fully admit it. Uh, and I'm fully also, I'm also fully admitting that I was wrong about the Cincinnati team. They are everything that you have billed them to me. Uh, and they kind of check all the boxes. Another great performance. They really just suffocated Memphis in this game. The only Memphis's only touchdown was one big play for 90, for 90 some yards. Other than that, the Cincinnati defense just controlled this game. All right. So I think that's all I've got for the big, big talking points of the weekend. Um, I'm kind of ready to just run through some games and then look at the polls. Let's get it rolling. All right. So Friday night, a big game that we really haven't gotten to yet is Maryland 45, Minnesota 44. And Minnesota off to a rough start, 0-2, a bad loss to Michigan last week, who ends up losing to Michigan State this week. Lose to Maryland, who got destroyed by Northwestern last week. And, I mean, we kind of texted about this on Friday night. This is just a weird scoreline, a weird team so far. And a team that I picked to win the Big Ten West. And I just looked at their roster, and they're bringing back a lot of these great players that they had last year. I know the defense was a bit shaky last year, and they played in a lot of shootouts. But I thought the defense would still be good enough to – to hold the to hold the other team enough that this offense could thrive and the offense has been decent these first two weeks and they still don't have their kickers or punters which isn't helping obviously but to be zero and two 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 teams that don't look great I mean Michigan's gonna be a fine football team but they got blown out by Michigan essentially and then a team that is probably really bad to just straight up lose to them these are two really bad results for Minnesota and I'm just kind of shocked by it yeah me too uh, this is a Minnesota team that I know they've been dealing with some COVID issues within the program, but this is, this is supposed to be a team that was, you know, going to be pretty on path to what they were last year. And, you know, I think the reason they're supposed to be, you know, really good this year was their offense. And their question was, was could the defense kind of be what they were last year, which was, was pretty solid and good enough to complement what was the strength of their team last year. And that was their offense. And, you know, they lost, you know, Winfield Jr. And they lost a couple other players and they just clearly haven't replaced them. It's been the defense. It's been an issue. They just, they get pushed around the line of scrimmage, and then they don't have any players in the secondary that can match up. And don't forget, this is a Maryland team that looked anemic on offense, scored three points on the road last week against Northwestern. And I know I had made the point last week to not try to build too much into week one. And, you know, week one isn't indicative of all things. But for, for, for Maryland to score three points against Northwestern, and then they put up 45 against you, including a comeback when you were, I think, up 
you know, 38-21 and to kind of let them come back and score 17 straight points to get back into this game. It's clear that the issue with this Minnesota team is just their defense is not what they were last year. And even though their offense is rolling with, with Tanner Morgan and Rashad Bateman and, you know, their offense is pretty solid. It's just they can't stop anybody on defense. And it is pretty shocking. I'm, I'm surprised I thought P.J. Fleck would do better with a COVID offseason. I thought he would be really good about getting this team prepared to play, and they just they just don't have it this year. All right, let's move on to Saturday. West Virginia 37, Kansas State 10. Another one of those score lines you look at that that's a bit shocking. And, I mean, this is one of those weird lines that we looked at, and we knew Vegas kind of knew something, and we didn't know exactly what. But this West Virginia team is a team that a lot of people were counting out coming into this year, did not think they were going to be very good. And they've shown up so far. They're 4-2 and two in the Big 12, and they're playing some good football. I guess they're 3-2 and two in the Big 12. They're playing some good football. And to – emphatically beat a team like Kansas State I know they don't have Skylar Thompson but to emphatically beat them like this is a really good win for them and it it says a lot about this team going forward and the chance that I mean maybe they could compete to get to the Big 12 championship game they still have to play a lot of the good teams in the Big 12 but they look really good and they have a really really good defense yeah I had saw a stat I knew as soon as I saw the stat I was in trouble and I should have pulled Kansas State on the board but I think even though Kansas State was four and one. They had won four out of their five games. They had been outgained in four of those five games. And even though West Virginia was three and two, they had outgained their opponent four out of five times. And I think maybe that's what Vegas saw. It's something that I didn't see, something that I had overlooked. And, and it was clear that West Virginia was probably the better team, and they played better in this game. They hit big plays in the passing game. Their defense looked great. I think it still is an issue with Kansas State right now. It's clear that Will Howard isn't the answer. You know, he went 19 of seven. 19, he went 19 of 37 for 184 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions. And I watched this game. It, you could just tell they struggled throwing the ball through the air. I felt like the only way they were able to really move the ball was running the the football. And even then, they didn't really do that much. Only 41 yards on 23 carries. So the offense just never got clicking. I think also Will Howard threw a pick six in this game. And then the West Virginia offense was hitting for big plays. Uh, their quarterback had a great game. Uh, Jared Dodge went, went 22-34, 301 yards, two touchdowns. You know, they made big plays in the passing, and they also ran for 184 yards. So it was clearly something that I had missed. Uh, Vegas knew what they were doing. Uh, West Virginia looked like the better team all game. They dominated this game from all, from all assets. And you're right, they get to 4-2, and two, and they do have a lot of the better teams left on the schedule. But I think, it's, I think it's a step in the right direction after what we saw last year from this West Virginia football program. Yeah, I mean, they've been trying to kind of rebuild after they got rid of their coach a few years ago. And last year we saw some positive steps in a lot of games that they lost close, but now they're finally turning those close losses into good wins and they're starting to look really good. Another team in the Big 12, Iowa State beats Kansas 52-22 to and kind of kicking myself that I didn't stick with the fade Kansas principle and take Iowa State minus 27.5. They win by 30 here. Uh, look really good doing it. Brock Purdy goes 23 of 34 for 239 yards. Um, really just overall pretty good performance from them. And how about Kansas, man? This is a team I thought would at least find a way to win a game this year, but now they're 0-6. And, I mean, you look at their schedule here. They got Oklahoma, Texas, TCU, and Texas Tech. And I think we can pretty much pencil this in as an 0-10 season. Yeah, looking like it. It's clear that this program has taken a massive step back after – accomplishing some pretty good things with Les Miles last year, winning a couple games in the Big 12. Yeah, they're clearly not what they were. I mean, they lost by 30, and that was with they were trying to kick off for a touchdown. So, really, their offense only put up 15 points in this game. So, yeah, and obviously their defense isn't stopping anybody. So, 
You're right. I think that the play might have to be going forward is fade Kansas. Iowa State, the better team in this game. It just seems like Kansas is going to be the free win that every other team in the Big 12 gets this year. Uh, Wake Forest has won four straight games here. They beat Syracuse 38-14. After what was felt like a weird win against Virginia Tech last week, they followed up this week with a good win. And I know it's just Syracuse, but they still cover, still look pretty good. And maybe this is a team to look at in the ACC going forward. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they lost to Clemson week one. That's expected. And then their only loss was a three other, – other loss was a three-point road loss to NC State. And NC State has obviously shown that there are no slouch. So, and then, yeah, you're right. Now they put together – Four straight wins, including beating Virginia Tech and beating Syracuse pretty handily on the road, 38-14. So, you know, this is a, a Wake Forest team that does have a pretty difficult schedule down the stretch. They go to North Carolina, Miami, and they have Notre Dame at home. So it's something that, that you know, the schedule does get tougher, but they found a way to put together four pretty good wins. And so maybe this is a team that we have to start paying attention to a little bit more. Purdue 31, Illinois 24, and – Man, we talked about Northwestern being 2-0 and and how good that, that must feel for them. It must feel really good for Purdue to be 2-0 and after a, a rough year last year. And Rondell Moore still not there for this game, but it was a game Purdue really controlled. They're up 31-10, and then all of a sudden late on, Illinois started to charge back. Illinois gets all the way inside the red zone, 31-24, with a couple minutes left, and Purdue stops them on downs, turns them over on downs, and wins this game 31-24. They made it a little nervy at late, but they still looked good. And I'll tell you what, Aiden O'Connell, their quarterback, goes 29-35 for 376 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. He has a really good game. And, you know, I mean, I was curious to see what their quarterback play was going to be this year, bringing in someone new. And so far, Aiden O'Connell looks looks really good and a really good week for him this week and a great win for Purdue to start off 2-0. Yeah, absolutely. And improving the doubters of me wrong. Um, I, I do get some things right. I feel like I'm talking about every time I, I've been incorrect about a team, but I do, and there, we all make mistakes and, you know, predicting college football can't be perfect. And I think it's important to admit those, but yeah, Purdue is a, a great start to the season. This game really felt like they were always in control. It should have been dead in the water at 31 10. Uh, I am a little bit concerned that they let Illinois back in this game, considering I think Illinois was on their fourth string quarterback, potentially, at least at the very least a third string. So it was a game that they probably should have closed out. I don't like that they let Illinois back in this game and made it competitive. But so far through two weeks, 2-0, and and I think with the COVID offseason, the way they did last year, they'll, they'll obviously take it. TCU 33, Baylor 23. Uh, honestly, a big game for TCU to get back on track after losing to Kansas State and Oklahoma in back-to-back -back weeks. And they outgained Baylor by 100 yards here. Definitely the much better football team. And going on the road, this is a good one. Yeah, a good bounce back win, um, a program that had been playing pretty well, but just was always on the wrong end of the final score. So uh, a good week for them to kind of get back into it. Score made it look closer than it actually was. TCU always felt pretty in, in control of this game. Talking about a big game for a team, Auburn beats LSU 48-11. to And this is one of those games uh, I kind of kicked myself for taking LSU. It's just a classic Auburn game. It's a classic Bo Nix game. And it's a classic Gus Malzahn game. Uh, I mean, Bo Nix, he's always good Bo Nix, bad Bo Nix. Definitely good Bo Nix in this game for Auburn. Uh, he goes 18-24 for 300 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Looks really good. Rushes for 81 yards as well, 7.4 yards on average. So when he was running, he was picking up a lot of yards on average. So he looked really good in this game. Auburn defense came to play, made big plays in the moments that they had to. And this is what Gus Malzahn does. Anytime his back is up against the wall, he finds a way to get a win 
and to keep this Auburn football coaching job. Yeah, I was about to say that. It feels like anytime Gus Malzahn's, Gus Malzahn's seat gets, gets warm underneath him, he finds a way to pull a big win out of his ass and look impressive doing it. And, yeah, look, I think every week there's always two or three results in college football that I just stare out and think, you know, how in the world did that happen? That was this game this week. I, I, Auburn had not looked good at in any single game leading into this. It felt like LSU had figured it out last week. Uh, I, I think it's pretty clear to, to figure out that that conclusion was premature. Uh, they looked lifeless in this game. Uh, you know, they're bad, you know, um, TJ Finley started again. You know, he looked great last week, and I talked about how it looked like their offense had been revived, uh, but then he goes 13 of 24, 143 yards, two picks. I think he got pulled in this game uh, in favor of Max Johnson, who came in and had some decent stats. But, yeah, Bo Nix looked really impressive in this game. I didn't get to watch any of it, but the stats jump off as really alarming, and obviously it looks like they, they dominated this game. Huge second quarter, huge third quarter. Uh, this is just one of those results. Like, I don't want to – I don't also don't want to – put too much into it. I want to say that now Auburn's figured it out and, you know, and now they're going to be rolling. I, I wouldn't be surprised if next week they go back to struggling again. It's just, I just think every week in culture, we have two or three thought, two or three results that just don't make sense. And this was one of them. It was billed as the under radar game of the week for, from a lot of analysts. It's Indiana Rutgers, Indiana wins 37, 21 on the road uh, to New Jersey. And this is a game Indiana wins pretty comfortably and that's a good win for them after what we saw from Rutgers last week, especially, and especially with what we saw from Michigan state this week, but I'm still not overly impressed with anything I've seen from Indiana. I mean, in this game, they only get around 300 yards of total offense and yeah, they outgain Rutgers by hundred yards, but this isn't a game. I look, this isn't a team I look at and I think they're going to compete with Ohio state or anything like that. Oh, no, definitely not. But, you know, I think they do have the makings of a team that could potentially, you know, finish second or third. You know, I think they're kind of in that path now that Penn State is 0-2. And obviously their game this week against Michigan will go a long way determining that. It wasn't a superly over-impressive win, but it was a game that I feel like they always kind of, you know, had felt control. And they were up 37-15. Rutgers did kind of get a, a late score to, to make this a little bit closer. But you know, it was a win that I think I came away a little bit impressed. Like they went down 7-0 early. Rutgers that beat Michigan State last week, go up 7 nothing. You kind of think, oh, boy, here we go again. You know, Rutgers figured something out. And kind of from that moment on, Indiana really kind of put the clamps down on the Rutgers offense, didn't really let them do much. And, you know, Indiana doesn't get a total a lot of yards, but it feels like any time they do get yards, it's, it's drives going into the end zone to, to score touchdowns. And, you know, Michael Penix Jr. had a, had a pretty good game. Uh, he went, if I can get the stats pulled up, you know, he – he went 17 to 26, 238 yards, three touchdowns. I think that's that's also that's impressive. And then as a team, they ran for 105 yards. So yeah, you're right. Not not big numbers coming out of the box score, but it feels like they're just efficient with their drives. They they find a way to score a lot of points even without moving the ball. And you know, I know it's Rutgers, but you know, when you have a big league last week, when you have a big win, and the way they won last week, you know, against Penn State, it's so easy to have a letdown, especially when you're playing on the road against a scrappy Rutgers team. But they handled it. I think I came away kind of pretty impressed with that. Ole Miss beats Vanderbilt 54-21. And it kind of feels like an Ole Miss defense that's figuring out a little bit. I mean, they were giving up a lot of points, obviously 63 to Alabama. Since then, they give up 33 to Arkansas, 35 to Auburn, and now 21 to Vanderbilt. And I know Vanderbilt's a bad offense, but Ole Miss defense finally picking up the slack a little bit. The offense continues to do what you expect this Ole Miss offense to do, putting up 54 points and looking good doing it truly. And Matt Corral goes 31 to 34 for 412 yards, six touchdowns, zero interceptions. 
that's a big game for this man and this man's confidence after he threw all those picks against Arkansas a couple weeks back. And, you know, I mean, I know we kind of counted this team team out after those three straight losses, but this is still a team I look at with these games coming up, especially against Texas A&M that I think they could, they can make it fun. Yeah, they could definitely make it fun and they have the offense to play with anybody, but what had been missing from this offense was the end product. They had gotten a lot of yards, but they just weren't able to find ways to punch it in the end zone. They turned over on downs or throw an interception. This game, they had that end product. You know, I know it was against Vanderbilt, but sometimes you need a game like Vanderbilt to, for, the, for that end product, for you to see yourself put that ball in the end zone to kind of get that confidence back. And so we'll see. I don't want to buy too much into it because it is Vanderbilt. If the defense can just be competent and, you know, that offense has the end product, all the yards that they get, you're right. They can be competitive against anybody. If they were, they were competitive against Alabama, and if you can be competitive against Alabama, you can be competitive with anybody. So they certainly have the pieces. It's just can they do it week in, week out, uh, and, and they just have to be able to finish drives on offense. And if they do like they did this week, um, who knows what can happen. Massive bounce back win for Virginia Tech here. They win 42-35 over Louisville. And, yeah, I mean, as always, they do it on the ground. They get 283 rushing yards. Hendon Hooker only throws the ball 10 times this game. Thankfully for Virginia Tech, he was 10 of 10 for 183 yards. He didn't throw any picks in this game. So he kind of just drives the bus, do, does what Virginia Tech needs him to do, and Virginia Tech gets a much-needed win here. A much-needed win. Their defense is struggling more than, you know, I thought they would. Uh, you know, 35 points to Louisville is, is struggling the defense. But, look, I love doing these podcasts every week and looking at the Virginia Tech box score to see how the run offense did. And, 51 attempts, 283 yards, and that feels like a letdown from what we've seen from this team's ability to do running the football this year. It, just, it is a run-first offense. You know, Hendon Hooker throws the ball 10 times and runs it 19 times. That's just what this offense is, and it's fun to look at. Another great week running the football, and, you know, this time they're able to get the win. Texas 41, Oklahoma State 34, and a game we haven't really get to t- got to talk about much at what was a huge game in college football this weekend, and I think we kind of talked about it in the preview that this Oklahoma State team, for as much hype as there is around them and as much as we even hyped them up in the offseason and as much as they were undefeated and number six in the country, they were always a team that didn't really feel like they belonged that high. They were a team that was kind of squeaking out wins and the offense wasn't looking great. And the other defense was looking good, but, you know, I mean, you need to have a humming offense here in the Big 12. And we kind of were expecting a letdown at some point and Texas is a team that just always plays up to their opponent and plays down to their opponents. And they played up to their opponents here, just like you expect from Tom Herman as an underdog on the road. Uh, he looks good. They find a way to win this game in overtime, 41, 34. I'm trying to figure out how in the hell Texas won this game. Yeah. You know, game the total yards. Yeah. 530 to 287. Yeah. And had 13 penalties for 142 yards. Ah, there it is. Four turnovers. That'll do it for you. Oklahoma State loses three fumbles. They throw a pick in this game. Texas doesn't turn the ball over. That'll do it. And look, I think Oklahoma State, you know, moving forward, I think this is actually, I, I, I don't want to say that, you know, they're kind of who we thought they were. I still think they're probably one of the top three teams in the Big 12, but it was just a game they couldn't get out of their own way. And, you know, even though they put up all those yards and they did have those turnovers, they had the lead late in this game. They were up. 31-20 after a touchdown in the third quarter. So they had this game, you know, pretty comfortable. And then they give up that kickoff for a touchdown. They give up that touchdown late to Sam Ellinger. And, you know, and then, of course, in overtime, you know, they had that bad penalty after they scored a touchdown in overtime to tie it. You know, they, and then they had that offensive lineman downfield. And then they just got behind the chains and can never 
um, you know, get rebounded. So I think I have maybe a little bit of different outlook in this game. I think it's a game that Texas was outplayed. Texas didn't really deserve to win. You know, Oklahoma State shot themselves in the foot with those four turnovers, and Texas just – give Texas credit, though. They found a way to hang around. They weren't the better team in this game. And, you know, they found a way to get this game into overtime and then squeak out a win. But it's a great upset win for them. To Tom Herman as an underdog against ranked teams on the road, he just always finds a way to kind of get these crazy upsets. You know, if Texas could be an underdog in every game, they'd be a really great football program. It's just when they're the favorites that they struggle. But but good on them. Uh, when it comes to Ford and Oklahoma State, I still think it's a team that can compete for the Big 12 championship. You know, they looked great on offense, especially the yards that they put on. They just couldn't finish out drives. Uh, and, you know, look, I still think they're one of the three best teams. And I still think they're viable for the Big 12, or for, even for the college football playoff, but they have to win out. So we'll see what happens going forward. But uh, I don't want to take away from Texas in this game. A great team win for them. You know, they needed this win. Uh, this is such a good bounce back win after it been what had been a, a disappointing start to the season. So good for Texas. Florida 41, Missouri 17. Florida, after two weeks off with uh, COVID issues, they come back and in a game that, you know, Missouri was my money line sprinkle here. I thought that Missouri was going to put up a fight. They looked really good against Kentucky last week. And uh, I thought it was going to be a sloppy game for Florida with a couple weeks off, but it really wasn't. They outgained Missouri here by nearly 300 yards. They were the much better football team overall. And uh, we saw it again from Kyle Trask. He had a pretty good game, only one pick, four touchdowns, 21 to 36 for 345 yards. Once again, Kyle Trask is the number one wide receiver and, uh, or not Kyle Trask, sorry, Kyle Pitts is what I meant as the uh, number one wide receiver with 81 yards and kind of just what you expect from Florida. They, I guess the one good thing, I know Missouri doesn't have some high-flying offense, but good to see Florida finally not let uh, let someone score 50 points on them. Yeah, um, I think obviously the the big, you know, let, uh, you know, kind of the, the thorn in the side of the Florida Gators was their defense. And I know it is Missouri, but this is a Missouri team that put up over 40 points against LSU when they played them. They put up 20 against what is a solid Kentucky team, and they put up 20 against Alabama. So it's an offense that wasn't completely anemic, had had some success this year. And, and the Florida defense really shut them down. Only had Missouri only scored seven points through three quarters. You know, they scored 10 kind of late in this game when it was definitely over by then. So really in three competitive quarters, Florida shut this, this Missouri offense down only seven points. And, and like you said, if their defense can do that, their offense is always going to be good. Their offense is always going to be humming. Kyle Trask with another big game, 21-36. You mentioned his stats, 345 yards with those four touchdowns. And then his favorite target, Kyle Pitts, five catches, 81 yards. No touchdowns this time, though. Those went to uh, Kadarius Toney this time. He had two, two touchdown catches. So a good win for Florida. And, you know, going into that week against Georgia, I think that's a really good win for this football team. I think it gives them a huge confidence boost going into that game. And I'm kind of with you after the way Georgia's looked and – you know, if, if that Florida defense can do this against Missouri, they can certainly do it against that Georgia team. Alabama 41, Mississippi State 0, and what is probably the least surprising scoreline of the year. Yep, uh, Mississippi State can't score against anybody, so why are they going to score against Bama? And Bama's offense doesn't get stopped by anybody, so why was Mississippi State going to stop in this game? Even though this line was 31, that's why you and I just felt so comfortable jumping on this line. It just This game felt so predictable. This game went exactly how everyone expected it was going to go. And this Alabama team is just solid, man. I think that they are pretty resemblant to what LSU was last year. I think they are that talented on offense. 
And obviously it's just, I feel like they've already punched a ticket to the cultural playoff, which I, I shouldn't say because there's so much football left, but um, just a really great win from Alabama. They, look, they looked really good in this game. And finally here, before we get to the polls, Virginia 44, North Carolina 41. And what a win for Virginia. Another one of those score lines that kind of pops out as an unexpected one, kind of like the Auburn LSU one, at least for me. And uh, we were kind of had questions about North Carolina coming into this year. Could they be this team that isn't just a good football team, but they're a great football team and they beat the teams they should beat. And I think maybe they're still another year away from that. And this kind of just looks like a loss you would expect a team like North Carolina to maybe have a couple of a year when you're just a good, a good ACC team, when you're a great ACC team. Yeah. You're going to run through teams like this, but if you're just a good ACC team or just a good, just power five team in general, you're going to have a couple losses that you shouldn't have. And that's kind of what we saw from UNC here. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, when you talk about kind of the levels of college football, you know, there's the elite levels of, you know, Ohio state Clemson, you know, Alabama, where every, game they play they're going to be better and you know but then there's that next level and I think that's what maybe a lot of people thought North Carolina could get to but what really separates those teams from that second kind of next tier of Georgia and Florida is that you are competitive you know in the big games but then when you play teams that are less than you you handle your business and I think there is such a gap between that and seem like North Carolina who can be competitive in those big games but they just have so many letdowns against teams like Virginia who was one in four going into this game and Virginia team that just had done nothing on offense. I mean, they only scored 14 points, you know, against Miami just a week before. So it was a team that really just was such a shell of what they were last year. They lost so many, you know, players last year, and they just weren't good. And yet they find a way to score 44 points against North Carolina. And they were up big in this game. North Carolina has staged a pretty crazy comeback to even get this game within three points at the end. So it just it's clear that North Carolina isn't to that next second level tier where you know, you handle your business against the team that you shouldn't be doing. And they're just not at that point yet. And when it's like that, you can just find ways to, to get upset in these kind of crazy, you know, look ahead games or at night on the road. It's just good teams like a Georgia or a Florida handle their business in these games and North Carolina just is not there. All right. Let's take a look at the AP poll. Maybe give uh, just a couple takes from it. I guess what I see here is. Do you not have a top 10? I'll give a top 10, but I, I want to look at the AP poll at least okay. a little bit first. Um, Liberty, for the first time in their history, are ranked. They come in at number 25. Um, Texas is back in the rankings, I believe, at 22. Coastal yep. Carolina is all the way up to 15, baby. Let's go, baby. You love to see it. Our Chanticleers uh, all the way up to 15. Indiana all the way up to 13 after starting 2-0. Uh, Miami, Florida, back up to 11. Didn't, don't think they played this week, but here all the way up to 11. BYU, after another great win against Western Kentucky, are all the way up to nine. Cincy, all the way up to six. And the top four is Clemson, one, Alabama, two, Ohio State, three, and Notre Dame at four. Yeah, uh, I tell you, though, I think that gap between Clemson and Alabama is getting really tight now. Just two points separate them. Clemson at 1-5, one, 1-5, five, one, five, Alabama at 1-5. One three, so yeah, uh, and then even Ohio State pretty close to them at fourteen thirty, and then you start to really see the drop off uh, as well. So yeah, I, nothing super surprising. The AP poll: Michigan takes a really big tumble all the way down to twenty three. I actually wouldn't have been surprised if they hadn't been ranked this week. And then Oklahoma State, after losing you know, to Texas at home, drop all the way down to fourteen, just above our beloved 
Chanticleer. So nothing that's too alarming. I was wondering if the pollsters would drop Wisconsin down a bit because of, you know, it looks like they may not be able to, to play the next couple of weeks. They only fall down to one spot at 10, so which is probably where they deserve to be. Uh, you'll probably kind of continue to see them drop little by little if they, they continue not to play. So, yeah, pretty good. Uh, Texas, I what a jump all the way up to, to 22. And I have that they were up 19 spots. That means they were at 41. I guess, I guess, I guess if you know other receiving votes, then that's how that happens. I guess that makes sense. But uh, yeah, I said, what a big jump from Texas all the way back up and, and ahead of Michigan. All right. So start us off with your number 10 team in the nation. All right. At number 10, I've given in. I've brought BYU into the JT top 10. They come in at number 10. And look, this is a team now that is 7-0 on the season. And I know that you know, you can only play the teams, you know, on your schedule. And every time they have, they've blown out. They've only had really one. It's funny that the one close game they had was a game that they were massive favorites in and UT San Antonio and UT San Antonio. So every other game they looked really good and they just continue to blow out teams. And if they're going to be undefeated in a college football season, especially in 2020, that deserves some merit. So number 10. Number 10 for me, you better believe it. Give me the shot to clears. Oh no! Oh no! It's getting worse. All right, I, 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 want, I want to hear it. I want to hear. It. I mean, I, I don't think I even need to say anything. Let this resume speak for itself. Uh, they were just favored to win this game this week by two and a half points. What do they go out and do? Win fifty-one nothing, six and zero in the Sun Belt. Don't forget the Sun Belt is a, a conference that was beating Big Twelve, beating Big Twelve teams up earlier this season. I mean, Louisiana was killing Iowa State, who in turn beat Oklahoma, and Coastal Carolina in turn beat Louisiana. So, and there's a lot of transitive property there. But, I mean, I look at the teams above them in the AP poll. There's Oklahoma State, who, I mean, maybe that's a tough one to jump. But then I see Indiana, who I just don't think has looked great. Oregon hasn't played a game. I just kind of put them above Wisconsin because I love Wisconsin. They're obviously a better football team than Coastal Carolina. But I'm just kind of depressed about the whole situation. I have a feeling they're going to miss out in the next few weeks and just – they're they're going to have a really good team this year. And I'm just kind of depressed about the whole situation, honestly. And I look at Miami and I don't know. I mean, I just thought they played one good team and they got blown out. So I haven't been super impressed with Miami either. So got them at number 10. All right. The number nine, I do keep Wisconsin in my top 10. They do get jumped though by Cincinnati. So they come in at just at the number nine position again, but I'm just so disappointed like you are. I think after what we've seen for the first two weeks, it clear that it was pretty clear that they were going to be the second best team again, in the Big Ten this year. They're going to be on the path for another Big Ten championship appearance, and they still can. But I don't even know if they can, though. With I just The Big Ten has screwed Wisconsin. And look, it's not Wisconsin's fault. It's not your fault for contracting COVID. You, know, you can get it anywhere at any time, even if you take as many precautions as you can. And now that one of their players got it and it ran through that program, because the Big Ten has set up them for Big Ten has set them up for failure, and the fact that you have a 21-day quarantine and no bye weeks, it just it's disappointing. I feel bad for Wisconsin, but I still do think that they're a top 10 team. I got them at nine. Number nine, I have BYU, everything you said. Yep. Number eight, I have Cincinnati, which feels low at number eight. Uh, I do think, though, that they are still not as good as the other teams I have in my top seven, but the resume is starting to speak for itself and two blowout wins against the better teams in the AAC the past two weeks. Number eight, I have Florida. Looked good this past week. Jump up a couple spots, but still below a team that they lost to, obviously. Yeah, definitely. I have also Florida in at number seven. Uh, again, look, uh, 
we're going to find out a lot more about this Florida team uh, when they play Georgia this week. But it's a Florida team that if they can figure out the defense, they can play with anybody in the country. Number seven, I have Texas A&M who beat Florida and I don't know. I mean, the one good team they've played for the most part, I guess they've played Florida who was good, but just the fact that they got blown out against Alabama and the way that game looked kind of depresses me on them a bit. It's just like, I don't know. I mean, if they get into the playoff, it's going to be kind of sad because they're probably going to get blown out against whoever they play, but I have them here at number seven. All right. At number six, I have the Georgia Bulldogs, a team that I am starting to to feel worse and worse about as this season goes on, goes on. And they just were not pressive against Kentucky. And I just have some serious questions about what this team can do on offense. I know their defense is great. It's the best defense in the country. But I mentioned earlier in the podcast, to be competitive in college football, to be elite in college football, you have to be dynamic on offense. They're just not. Uh, and, and so I feel, I, I, I feel if I were them, I'd be very worried going up against Florida next week. Number six, I have uh, Georgia, keeping with the theme of us having similar teams in this area. So, yeah, I agree. This is going to be a huge game next week, Florida-Georgia. And I have not been impressed with this offense. And personally, I have a feeling Florida is going to win this football game. And I wouldn't even be surprised if they won it comfortably. But yeah, I have Georgia all the way down to six. All right, number five, I have Texas A&M. And I know that feels high, but this is more of a resume for me. Look, they lost to Alabama. But that's Alabama. That was the second week of the season. That was on the road. You know, Alabama beat Georgia by 20. So, you know, the fact that they lost that game by 28, you know, I, I can understand it. But they come back the next week, they beat Florida, they handle Mississippi State, and then their offense looked really good last week against Arkansas. And I think their resume stacks up with, with the Georgia resume. And obviously they beat Florida. And, you know, I think their resume is just as good as almost anybody outside of that lost Alabama. And, you know, right now the way their offense is slinging the ball, the way Kellen Mond is playing – I'm going to keep them up there at five. Uh, I think they deserve to be there. All the way at number five, I have these Cincinnati Bearcats, baby. Let's I don't go. hate it. I don't hate it at all. I like it. I mean, look, the college football playoff is going to rank it differently than me. I mean, at least from what we've seen in the first six years of the college football playoff, that's just the way they do things. They don't value these teams, but I do. And it's different than a lot of these non-Power 5 teams we've seen. We've seen a lot of these non-Power 5 teams – get into shootouts and play a lot of close shootout type games. We saw that with UCF that one year, they played in a lot of close games. We saw the teams that were getting deep into last year, playing a lot of close games. Cincinnati has been blowing the doors off some good teams, especially the last two weeks, especially this week where they beat Memphis, who I still think is a pretty good football team by 39 points. And I just want to see this team given a shot, man. I know that they'd probably lose and I know it probably wouldn't be that pretty either, but you have three teams that are just so much better than everyone else. And that four team is probably going to be worse than those other three by a lot anyways. And the, you know, non-power five has been crying out for a team for all these years. Just give them a sacrifice, sacrificial lamb this year and kind of, kind of serve them up to the number one team in the country and just give them a shot. And then if they get, if they lose big, then it kind of works out for the college football playoff because then they can use that as an example in the future. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that the group of five deserves more representation, deserves more respect from the cultural playoff committee. I think it's something that you and I will continue to argue as we move forward. At number four, I still have Notre Dame. And look, Notre Dame is sitting at number four, but I mentioned last week in my poll that I had such a wide gap between three and four. Notre Dame's closing that gap a little bit, and they're starting to figure it out on offense. We, their offense have been their big issue, you know, only 12 points against Louisville. For the last two weeks, 45 against Pittsburgh, 31 this week. And that defense is just so restricting 
Georgia Tech, holding Georgia Tech to just 13 points. And seven of that was, I think, the Georgia Tech defense scoring a defensive touchdown. So just this Notre Dame defense is so solid on defense. And I'm really looking forward to this matchup. I don't want to get too into it. I feel like I'm going to be get so hyped for this game and Clemson is just going to win this game by 30 because it's what Clemson does. But the fact that Notre Dame is playing a freshman quarterback and this Notre Dame defense gets to, to game plan for a freshman quarterback, I just – I feel like I find that so interesting and I feel like it's got such a great potential to be such a great game next week. And I'm really hoping that happens. Yeah. I have Notre Dame at four as well. Okay. <laughs> I guess we move on. Uh, you, you don't want, you don't have anything for Notre Dame. I think you touched on, touched on everything. That's fair. All right. Number three, I dropped Clemson down to number three. I feel a little guilty. I feel like it's a homer pick. I know how State's only played two games, but you know, Ohio State's road win against Penn State, I think, is better than any win that Clemson has had this year. Clemson's probably best win was this year at home against Miami, but I just don't think that Miami has the kind of credible respect that, that Penn State has gotten over what they've Penn State's done the past couple of years, and that game was at home. And look, it just feels like Ohio State was so comfortable and so dominant in a game that they played their C game. And I, and I feel like I can't push Ohio State playing for the C game because Clemson's been stuck on their C game all year. They've been kind of stuck in second gear. So, so the fact that Ohio State maybe has a better win and maybe it's a little bit of a homer, um, I dropped Clemson down to three. I actually did the same thing, and I was kind of expecting to get some hate. Maybe not from you. I mean, we might get some hate from some people that listen and think it's a huge overreaction considering the best player probably in the country wasn't playing in this game. But I guess it, in my opinion, this game that we saw against Boston College this week kind of exposed some of the weaknesses of Clemson this year, and it's just the fact that they rely so much on Trevor Lawrence, and they rely so much on only a couple of players, and it's Amari Rogers, it's Travis Etienne, it's Trevor Lawrence. His defense looks a lot worse this year. Yes, they looked a lot better in the second half in that game against Boston College, but I think the defense has a lot more weaknesses, and I think even the offense has a lot less playmakers, and I just think that personally, if Clemson was, I mean, one, I think, like you said, Ohio State's resume is a little bit better um, considering that it's early in the season when it's, things are going to be a bit sloppy. They're still only in like second or third gear right now and still blowing the doors off teams like Nebraska and winning comfortably on the road against Penn State is better than anything Clemson's done. They still haven't really played anybody. They beat Miami. We'll obviously see what they do this week against Notre Dame. But, but yeah, I mean, I think that we saw some weaknesses this week from Clemson. And I think if Clemson played Alabama or Ohio State, I feel pretty comfortable that, that Alabama or Ohio State would win. Yeah, me too. So that means you got Clemson at three? Yeah, Clemson at three. Uh, who do you have at two? I have Ohio State still at two. Um, obviously a great win last week against Penn State. I think this team showed in flashes the potential of what they can be this season. Obviously it's still going to be take a little more time to kind of fully put it together, but they've got that time. They've got Rutgers in Maryland the next couple weeks, so – it's a team that's rolling right now. It's a clear that it's just so obvious that they're by far the best team in the Big Ten. I think it's expected that they roll. And so now kind of with Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, I think the question really becomes who is good enough, who is impressive enough to get that one spot? Because obviously who gets that one spot this year gets that quote-unquote easier game like LSU got in the, in the playoff, in the, in, the, in the semifinal game. Yeah, I mean, it's really similar to last year where that one spot was so huge. And we saw with the highest State, I mean – and maybe they get that one spot and their whole season changes. They don't have to play Clemson. They don't get some bad officiating calls. And then they, you know, they play either a Clemson or an LSU team in that national championship game. And one of those teams is beaten up from that game. And maybe Ohio State wins the national title if just they were put at that one spot, like maybe they deserve to be at the end of the last year. So it is going to be like it was last year, a huge 
a huge thing to get that number one spot and get to play a four seed that we assume is going to be much worse than any of those three teams. But, but yeah, I have Ohio State as two as well. Um, I mean, it's kind of impossible at this point to have Ohio State over Alabama. Alabama has a couple good wins. They look really good. Their resume is really good. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I, actually, Alabama is only two points behind Clemson this week. So they, they'll probably take over. I guess Clemson might get a big win this week, though, but we'll see. So it's really tied up there at the top. Even Ohio State's pretty close. So it's tied at the top, as you would expect. But you have Ohio State at two, and obviously Alabama at one. Yeah, I agree with you. It is tied at the top. But I do have Alabama at one, a couple reasons. Um, they have, I think, the best resume. That win against Texas A&M at home. Also, the way they won that game by 28 points. 17-point win at home against Georgia. They played the, the most difficult schedule, and they've looked best. They're just a team that looks like they've been – you know, we talk about Clemson, Ohio State still being kind of stuck in second gear. Yes, Alabama's played more games. I know that. But it feels like Alabama's already at full throttle. You know, their offense is humming. Their defense is really strong and really stingent. I just think they've been, of all the teams in college football, in my opinion, they've looked the most uh, impressive so far this season. So that's why they're at my number one spot. All right. Something we're going to try to do a little bit more is maybe give some Sunday locks so we can lock some stuff up before – you know, some things change massively before Wednesday's pod. And we can always lock it up by texting each other and stuff like that. But at least want to get it on the record for the people in case they want to do some early betting on a Sunday or a Monday, or I guess on a Monday when they're listening to this. And I had some success with this last week, betting pretty much on all the games I bet early. Most of the lines moved favorably for me. So I'm glad I got them where I got them. And so, yeah, so I, I don't know if you have any locks you like early on, but I know I have at least two. Uh, you start off. I have I have not looked at these lines yet, so. Yeah, I mean, it's fine if you don't have anything. We're not always going to have something, but I was always pretty comfortable with the fact that I had a weird feeling that Vegas was maybe going to like Georgia coming into this game, and Florida is plus four and a half, which is a bit more than I expected. It almost scares me a bit how, how heavily Vegas likes Georgia in this game, but, I mean, it's going to be a neutral site game. It's going to be Florida plus four and a half, and I'm going to take Florida because I think they're going to win this football game. That's about, yeah, you have anything you're liking? Um, I'm not going to lock anything up just yet, but I feel like I can give some sides I'm on kind of already. Mm-hmm. If Wisconsin plays, I would take them. I would look at them at minus eight against Purdue. I like Oklahoma State minus 10 against Kansas State, especially after what I saw in yardage between those two games last week, even though both teams lost. I do like – I think I'm going to stay away from Texas and minus eight. I do like Ohio State minus 37 and a half. It's at home against Rutgers, and Rutgers is still Rutgers. Uh, but nothing locked yet. Why don't you keep going? Yeah, the only, the only other one I have is uh, Cincinnati minus 10 and a half. I texted that one to you earlier. They're playing Houston, and, I mean, Cincinnati just beat Memphis 49 to 10. Uh, and that's a Memphis team that, in my opinion, is better than Houston. Now Cincinnati is still at home playing Houston, and they're only 10.5-point favorites. I see no reason why Cincinnati's not going to roll in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lock agreement. You're in on it? Cincinnati minus 10 against Houston, right? Yeah. Yeah, lock agreement. I'm in. Cincinnati's convinced me the last two weeks. They're playing at home. They're going to shut down Houston because they've shut down every other team they played, and, and and their offense is rolling. I mean, their offense is rolling. I think 11 points is very comfortable um, for what they do. Um, gosh, I want to. Why don't they, I wish they had totals? I want to. I feel like no matter what the 
total for Clemson and Notre Dame is, I'm going to take the under. Yeah, I mean, a big game. It's going to be tight. You got a freshman QB for Clemson. I could definitely see that game going under. Real quick, look ahead at the week. We have Maction returning on Wednesday night. There's going to be all the conference in play here Wednesday in two days when you're, lis- <clears throat> when you're listening to this. So that's really exciting. Obviously, the Pac-12 returns uh, highlighted by a big noon kickoff. It's going to be 9 a.m. over there uh, on Fox, uh, Arizona State versus USC. And you see actually 10.5-point favorites, which I'm surprised by. Arizona State's going to be a good football team this year, in my opinion. Uh, so that's a game to look for. It's going to be fun. You've got Florida-Georgia, obviously, which we've talked about at length. You've got Cincinnati, who wants to keep winning to stay in this playoff picture. Purdue-Wisconsin, if it goes ahead, is a big game. Oklahoma State, Kansas State, uh, Texas A&M, South Carolina could be fun. Tennessee, Arkansas. Um, obviously, there's Clemson, Notre Dame. There's Ohio State, Rutgers. Uh, there's Nebraska, Northwestern, which is kind of a big game. And there's Michigan, Indiana, which I, I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan has a bounce-back game there, and I don't hate them minus three and a half. So a lot of fun games to look forward to in week 10. Notre Dame, Clemson, under 51, lock it up. That's all. That's a lot. That's the last thing I'll do tonight. I'll take Cincinnati minus ten, Clemson Notre Dame under fifty one. Those are my two locks for Sunday night. There it is. All right. It was a long pod. Do you have anything else to say? My throat hurts. I want to go drink some water. All right. No, but that's well, it. <laughs> that's it. All right. We'll be back Thursday at six a.m. for our locks, our best bets, and our preview of Week Ten, where we add the Pac twelve. And we add uh, the Mac. So we're obviously excited for that. We'll be back Thursday at 6 a.m. That was JT Yershowski. I'm Jacob Wilson. Thank you for listening to Two Guys, One Mike.